Last year, over 6 million Americans uh, said that they experienced at least one major episode of what could be described as clinical depression. It's something that one out of all, uh, out of 10 Americans will experience sometime in their lifetime. What is probably more akin to us this day is the fact that 100% of us will have episodes sometime in our life of extended sadness that we could describe honestly as depression. That might not be clinical depression as described by doctors, but it is an extended sadness that we wrestle with. Uh, whenever that happens, the symptoms of that many times are a change in our sleeping habits. Uh, for some, it means that they have trouble sleeping. For others, it means that's all they want to do is sleep. They just want to pull the covers up over their head and stay in bed. It means that they have a tendency to withdraw from activities and from relationships because when you lose your emotional margin, you don't want to be tested. And there are other symptoms, but all of us, I think, know what we're talking about when we talk about uh, depression in general. When we talk about that, which many times begins, the catalyst is a loss of some kind. Uh, sometimes that's an actual loss, sometimes it's a perceived loss. Sometimes that loss is concrete, like losing a person that you love or losing a job. In fact, I think it's interesting that uh, stats tell us on clinical depression that the people who have had a, a recent uh, divorce or someone who is unemployed is twice as likely to have clinical depression as someone who's in the other part of the population. Sometimes it's not a concrete loss. Sometimes it's more of an abstract loss, like a loss of respect or a loss of confidence, loss of an opportunity or loss of a dream. But it is a loss. And when that loss comes, that depression, that cloud comes, sometimes it stays for a short time. Unfortunately, many times it stays for a very, very long time. It's more of a marathon than it is a sprint. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4, <laughs> verses 7 through 10. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, you will find that same scripture listed, I couldn't help myself, <clears throat> on the back of your worship guide. Paul writes, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power would be of God and not from ourselves. Listen to what he says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There's actually a modern translation that says whacked, but not killed. Verse 10 says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And what the scripture makes very clear that sometimes we conveniently overlook is that in this world we will have tribulation. And Paul speaks to that about how it affects us, that it, it causes us to be perplexed. We don't understand it, but we don't despair. We don't go without hope, that it knocks us down, but it doesn't knock us out. See, that's the difference between uh, going through a trial and being uh, affected long-term by it. We're down, but we're not out. There, there's one guy who loses his job, and he goes home, and he's very sad about it, appropriately so. He may even cry. He doesn't tell anybody he cried, but he cries. And he gets up the next morning, and he shaves, and he gets dressed, and he goes out to look for another job, do whatever he can do to remedy the problem. Another guy loses the same kind of job, and he cries, but he can't stop crying. 
and he can't stop sleeping. He doesn't get dressed and he doesn't shave. He is down and out. And what Paul is saying is the Paul is affirming that we can survive our losses. Paul is affirming that we can overcome our depression. Now let me very quickly say that depression is not a sin, but rather it's a symptom. It's like if you break your arm, uh, uh, if you, you could br- do something wrong and break your arm in the process. You'd be climbing over a wall where you're not supposed to go and break your arm. The, the broken arm is not the problem. The problem is you crawled over a wrong wall and you were where you're not supposed to be. You could be doing the right thing and break your arm. The broken arm is a symptom that it's not the cause. In the same way, you don't need to feel guilty about being depressed. Depression, follow this, is to our emotions what pain is to our body. Pain is really a gift from God. If, if I back into a stove, the pain tells me that my rear end is in the wrong place. And while it's not very pleasant at the time to experience pain, pain is very helpful at that moment. It tells me to move it or lose it, all right? And the same thing is true in depression. Depression tells us that we've had a loss in our life. And many times what we need to do is we need to understand why that loss is there. And and so we don't want to feel guilty about having depression. Depression is the symptom. It's like a check engine light in our car. If you're driving down the street and there's a check engine light that comes on, what you don't want to do is put some duct tape over it. That's not going to solve what's causing the the problem. You also don't want to go in the garage and say, hey, I've got a problem. They say, well, what's the problem with your car? And say, well, I need someone to turn off this check engine light. When the check engine light comes on, it tells us that something else has happened that we need to allow God to address or give us courage for in our life. 25 years ago, I've shared this before, I went through a severe time of depression. And I mean, it was an extended months after months after months of depression. And it did something for me. First of all, it made me a lot more sensitive to people who suffer from depression at any time in their life. Up to that point, my basic advice to people who came to me and told me they were depressed was get over it. Not so much after I went over, uh, I was in it for a long period of time and I couldn't get over it, didn't seem to be able to get over it. The other thing it did for me is it allowed me to think about some biblical ways to address depression. And and for me, it was a matter of going through a checklist of figuring out what the problem was. In Psalm 43, the the writer writes about uh, going through a time of identifying the cause. In, In Psalm 43, in verse Five, he says these words, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? And then he talks about his hope as a follower of God, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I may not be able to feel like it today, but I will again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so the psalmist asks the question, why are you down, soul? And we need to ask the question. I think the first step, and biblically, addressing depression in our life is to first of all identify the cause if there is one. For example, I think there are at least four possibilities of a cause of depression. One is physical, and and, and that shows itself in several different ways. Sometimes it's just exhaustion. It's just a lack of capacity. It's a post-adrenaline reaction. In other words, if you run a marathon, your body is going to react to that afterwards 
so is your emotions afterwards when you're spent. There's a wonderful story in 1 Kings uh, 18th and 19th chapter. It talks about Elijah. And some of you who are familiar with that story know that Elijah went up against the 450 false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he challenged them to call down fire from the sky from their false god, and they were unable to do so. And he called down fire from the true and living God that consumed the sacrifice that was on the altar. And after that, he and those that followed him uh, killed the 450 false prophets of Baal. Well, at that time, uh, the uh, king of Israel was uh, Ahab, a wicked king. He was married to Jezebel, and Jezebel threatened his life. Jezebel said, uh, may it be done to me what you did to those prophets if I don't do to you what you did to those prophets by the end of this evening. And so the Bible tells us that after this great ordeal, after this spiritual Super Bowl, which he had to be spent following, that he ran for an entire day into the wilderness. Not a real good idea. He'd just seen God call down fire from the sky. His God was able to defeat Jezebel, but because he was depleted, he was afraid, and then he expended even more energy going into the wilderness. And sometimes that's where we are. What we, what we have is we have a down that takes place after the adrenaline has given us an artificial high and we have spent our energy, we have spent our emotion, we lose both our physical and our emotional margin and we go into a natural reactive state and many of us worry about the way we feel. We feel exactly like we should feel after some of those experiences. Sometimes it's because there's something chemically imbalanced in us. There may be a thyroid problem. And a lot of times, if you have checked everything else on the list and you can't figure out why perhaps you're depressed, it's time to go visit a doctor and check the chemicals in your body. Uh, I think it's interesting that women are twice as likely to be depressed, clinically depressed, as men between puberty and menopause. Before puberty and after menopause, they have the same rate of depression as men. What that's telling us is that there's a hormonal thing that's going on there. And because women more, have more of a cycle of hormones, they're more affected by those ups and downs. This brings a great question up that I hear a lot as a pastor. Is it wrong for me as a Christian to, make, to take medication related to my depression? Here's my simplified answer of that. So you send me all your emails on this one. <laughs> If the problem is chemical, the answer may be chemical. In other words, if you have a hormonal imbalance in any particular time of your life, to take medicine to balance that out so your, your hormones are more where God would, would cause them to be is no more different than taking an aspirin or, or, or taking a blood thinner for a heart problem or, or some of the other medication that you would take. But if you're taking medication for something that's caused other than physical, it can be problematic. Although I will say that there's sometimes you get into a deep spiral of depression, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, we're taking medication for a short period of time just to stabilize you enough to begin to think correctly sometimes can be helpful. So send me your emails, all right? <laughs> sometimes it's physical. Another thing that I would put on my checklist is sometimes it's cognitive. It's what I call stinking thinking, all right? 
where we begin to have some presuppositions about what we have to have happen in our life in terms of circumstances or our expectation of other people and the happiness that they should provide for us and we set ourselves up for a grand disappointment that sinks us into depression. And what is really going on there is a perceived loss, not an actual loss. Because we really didn't lose anything. It never was our right to have that in the first place. And when that happens, what we need to do is we need to change the way we think. We need to begin to look at life and value life like God looks at life and values life. Years ago, uh, someone came to my office, and very frankly, they were coming to my office. This is about 30 years ago. This person was not a member of our church. And they said, uh, basically they were saying to me they were going to leave my office and commit suicide. That they had come there to make their peace with God before they went out and commit suicide. And the reason is that this person's business had fallen on tough times. And when I got down to the bottom of it, the reason that he was going to kill himself is because he thought he was going to lose his home. And he thought it would be such a disappointment to his children. To him that was the unthinkable that he would lose his home. His kids would lose their room. And he thought thought that was so unthinkable for him. The pain of it was so great because of the presupposition in his mind that because of his stinking thinking that he was going to kill himself. And so I said, well, let me get this straight. You're going to take your life because you're so upset that your kids are going to be upset that they're going to lose their home. What do you think their kids are going to think about losing their dad? I mean, it just made no sense at all. And all of a sudden, it just a light came on. He thought, that's the dumbest thing in the world that I could do. I'm not, I'm, not taking away, I'm not avoiding the pain of that. I'm inflicting greater pain. And a lot of times, that's where depression comes from, is where we begin to look at life like the world looks at life instead of like God looks at life in terms of eternity. And that we go through things that are tough, yes, for a short time. But as Christians, we have hope because we have a God who can redeem anything that we put into his hands and bring more good out of it than evil. And there is coming a day when there will not be a, a recession. There is not, will not be an irregular boss. There will not be irregular people in your life where there will be no sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more debt. And that is our hope. And we need to begin to think long-term as God does rather than short-term. Sometimes it's not physical that causes our depression. Sometimes it's not cognitive. Sometimes it is spiritual. King David had a tremendous relationship with God, but there came a time in his life of comfort and plenty where he committed adultery and then he committed a murder to cover up the adultery. And what happened is it caused there to be a gap between him and his God. And he writes about it many times about how it not only affected him in a a, a pure spiritual sense, but how it even affected his emotions and it affected his physical well-being. In Psalm 32, verse 3, he said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of the heat of summer. In Genesis, the fourth chapter, when he talks about Cain who brought an unacceptable gift to God, an unacceptable sacrifice to God. And God said to Cain, don't miss this, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. Now here's what's interesting. Uh, God said to Cain, 
who was upset about the fact that God rejected his offering, he says, why have your, your countenance fallen and why are you angry? One of the reasons I think that people believe that women are twice as much likely to have depression as men is because men don't express their depression in the same way and they're not as quick to admit it. So I don't really think it's twice as much. I think many times men act out their depression and anger. And I think there's a lot of domestic violence that's going on because men are clinically depressed and they don't go for help and they don't deal with the emotions that they have. And fear and depression are not safe emotions for men. So they hop over to a secondary emotion called anger. And here we see Cain was dealing with it and the reason that he was, his countenance had fallen is because he didn't have a right relationship with God. Now, 25 years ago, when I began to go through the checklist and I said, am I, am I taking care of myself physically? Am I getting enough sleep, enough rest? Am I eating the right things? Am I getting enough exercise? Is there any way I'm looking at life that's wrong? I looked at relationships. I looked at all kinds of things to see what I might need to fix when that break engine light came on. And I realized for me, it was this. It was spiritual. I had unconfessed sin in my life that had caused a gap between, in fellowship between me and the Father. And I had to repent and confess that sin before God. I had to not only confess that I was wrong, but I had to step away from it. And that was the beginning of healing for me and my depression. And for some of you, that's where the depression is. It's a form of residual guilt because you live in a continual sin that's causing a separation between you and your creator. A fourth possibility, which is kind of a catch-all, is any other kind of true loss in your life. Again, that can be a, a abstract loss, a loss of respect, a loss of reputation, or it can be concrete, a loss of job. A lot of older men, this is interesting, between the ages of 45 and 55 suffer more than the regular population with depression, and one of the main causes is the loss of vitality or the loss of health as the body begins to atrophy and not being able to deal with that loss of not being as strong and athletic and fast as you used to be. It could be a loss of a dream. It could be loss of property. Many times it is a loss of what God says is the most important thing in our life, which is a relationship. Because relationships are the most important things in our life, they have the potential to be the greatest joys in our life and they also have the potential to be the greatest heartaches. And that's why it's important that we forgive quickly, that we reconcile, that we do the hard work of keeping relationships current. And as it says in Romans, the 12th chapter, as far as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men. So the first step in dealing with depression is, first of all, as much as you can, guided by the Holy Spirit to identify the cause of your depression. Is it a physical problem? Is it a cognitive or a mental problem? It is, a, is it a spiritual problem? Or is it a natural reaction to loss? And then the second thing we must do as believers is that we must embrace our depression. You see, there are times when that engine light comes on and we need to go and fix something. If it's physical, maybe we need to get rest or maybe we need to get medication. If it's cognitive, maybe we need to change our thinking to have the mind of Christ. If it's spiritual, maybe we need to confess and repent. But if there's true loss that we didn't cause, it just happened in our life, then we've got to embrace that loss and we've got to go through the process of that loss. A normal depression 
looks like this. Whereas there's the recognition of the perceived, the perception of the loss, and then there's a period of depression or sadness, and then there's a return to normal. Don't be afraid of that process. That is a natural process. It's just like if you cut your hand, it's going to bleed. And then if you stop the bleeding, it's going to begin to heal, but it's not going to heal overnight. It's going to look a little bit better. The wound will be closed the next day, but then a scab will form, and then that scab gets smaller, and the body begins to regenerate the cells. And then there'll come a day when you will look at your finger, and and except for a very slight scar that nobody else would notice, but you notice because you know the cut was there, you're healed. That's a natural process. Friends, it's no different for us emotionally. When we suffer loss, we go through a period, and and here's what the Lord has promised, that he'll walk with us through that valley. And so we don't have to be afraid. He's with us in it. That's what his promise is. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He will walk with us. And so many times, it's, it's to embrace that. Here's what happens, though, sometimes. What happens sometimes, instead of this normal progression of depression, what happens is, is that we suffer a loss. And then we get to stinking thinking. And we get into a negative triad. Stay with me. And then we begin to think, well, I lost my job, so I must not be any good. I lost my job, so I'll probably never be able to keep another job. Uh, I lost my job, so the world is against me. And what happens is we get in a spiral from one actual loss to perceived loss or anticipated loss. And we begin to have doubts about ourselves, doubts about the world as it is, unfair, and doubts about the future, a negative cognitive triad. And that's where we get into that that depression. Sometimes this happens because we have a loss and we begin to feel depressed and then we feel guilty about being depressed. We get depressed about being depressed. Depression is not a sin. It's a symptom that you're either physically not right or relationally not right or spiritually not right or that you've suffered loss. And if you've suffered loss, it's the normal, natural thing for you to feel sad for a time period. Let me show another problem. Another problem instead of the the natural progression is where we suffer a loss and then what we try to do is we try to avoid the sadness And so we've tried to build a bridge of denial. Say you lose your spouse. Say your spouse forsakes you or divorces you. Instead of going and experiencing the natural grief that someone should experience, you go to single bars. You know, a lot of times when somebody's gone through a divorce or when somebody has the death of a spouse, the advice that I would give them is give yourself time to mourn. Don't even think about dating. Because at this point right now, it would be a medication for your pain to cover up your pain. And you need to fully feel that pain. And if you try to go out and medicate it immediately with a new relationship, especially if you've been abandoned or if you've been abused, what you will have a tendency to do if you haven't processed all that is to rebound into the exact same relationship again. And I can give you names of people who walk back in my office two years later and say, Steve, when you told me not to date for at least a year after my wife left me, I, sh- I would give a million dollars if I'd taken your advice. Because exactly what you happened, I didn't properly 
process my grief. I didn't properly embrace the fact that if God was with me, it was okay for me to be alone. I, 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 put, I became codependent again with another human being instead of trusting God in my loneliness. Best time to date is after when you don't need to date. God made us for a relationship, but we should never need it more than we need our God. And what happens when you try to build a bridge of denial, when you do not experience your depression, what happens is that gets longer, and eventually you're going to have to deal with it. It's going to keep on. That sadness is going to be underneath there, and eventually, whenever the bridge runs out, you're going to finally experience it, and you're going to go ahead and have to go through it, but probably a longer time of pain that's there. One of the things that I think is helpful to do is to set a limit for your depression that's appropriate, led by the Holy Spirit. For example, if I get a brand new shirt and I go to a restaurant and the very first day that I wear that shirt, I spill spaghetti on the shirt, I give myself 30 minutes of depression. (laughs) Just permission to feel lousy like the whole world is gonna end because this brand new shirt is run forever. If I get a traffic ticket, I give myself a half a day of mourning. For the fact that I no longer have a clean record, my insurance is probably going to go up and it's going to cost me 120 bucks. Or take one of those stupid defensive driving courses. Oh my goodness. Just take a screwdriver and stick me in the eye rather than do that. (laughs) Cruel and unusual punishment. I don't know how long you should take when you lose a loved one, but I know that there are a lot of societies that intuitively put on black for a year. And they don't do their normal activities and everyone gives the person permission to be sad, deeply sad, as well they should be for a year. And it doesn't mean that after a year you forget that relationship or that you'll never hurt again, but at that point you put on your clothes and then you begin to move on with your life. Now I don't know what the proper time is, but I would try to set a limit for any loss to say I'm gonna give myself permission to go on down to fully embrace the pain that is normal, that is natural for this loss. In 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, in verse 10 it says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Part of what that verse tells me is that it's okay to be sad. If it's a sadness that in case of a spiritual depression leads me back to God. If it's a sadness according to a true loss that causes me to depend on God in that sadness and realize he's all that I need. But at some point, you choose to move on. Now here was my experience. My experience was when I discovered it was a spiritual problem in my life and when I repented and when I confessed to that sin, I still felt terrible. But I realized that something happened, something had happened. I had a defective C-E-L. A defective C-E-L. I had a defective engine light. Check engine light. I still had a light that was stuck on that said something's wrong, but I'd already dealt with what was wrong. And so by faith, I had to get up and I had to do what God had asked me to do and live the way that he asked me to live. And guess what? My feelings caught up with my faith. 
See, here's the problem many times is we deify our feelings and we let our feelings dictate what we do or we don't do. What we try and we don't try. What we risk and we don't risk. And at some point when we have had the natural process of dealing with whatever loss we have or we have fixed whatever needs to be fixed that is in our control, then we move on with our life. In Philippians, the third chapter, I love what Paul says. He puts it in right perspective, all of our loss. In verse eight, he says this, more than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And what does he say? And count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Friends, here's the good news. It doesn't matter what we lose, we come out ahead as believers. You take your finances, you take your health, you even take your relationships and you add them all up. And some of them are negatives and some of them are plus. But when you add in there the Lord, it comes out a plus. That's why in that same letter in Philippians 4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Our joy comes from the fact that we have a relationship with God and the difference that it makes in this life and certainly the hope of the difference that it's going to make in the life to come. I had referred earlier in the service about uh, 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. In 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, it says that Elijah came to that place and he sat under a juniper tree and he said, God, why don't you just kill me? God didn't say anything to him at that time and he fell asleep and then an angel came and woke him up and gave him food to eat. He fell asleep again and the angel came a second time and woke him up and gave him food to eat. And then he finally did hear God, and here's what God said to him after sleeping and eating and sleeping and eating. In 1 Kings 19, 13, it says, when Elijah heard the wind, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God said, you've had your pity party. You've replenished your body. It's time to get back to work. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray about it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the emotional pain that many of us describe as depression. We thank you that it can become a kind of check engine light that causes us to look at our lives and see if we're doing something that's causing that pain. And Father, when we don't have control over the loss that is taking place in our life, we know that we can trust you to be our everything and that you are all that we need. And thank you for being a gentle and loving God that allows us to process that and to grieve that loss in an appropriate way. And thank you for being a God that gives us the strength to get up and to get back in the race again. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.